0: Hello friends, welcome to Emmanuel Cares Casting Nets and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. Job 11 to 14, we meet Zophar. We hear some good words from Job. We hear some snarkiness. The gloves are starting to come off, so I'm glad you're here. Job 11 to 14, you don't need anything else. You don't need to download anything from a PDF. You don't have to open up a Word document, but just watch this video and maybe grab your favorite beverage. Maybe it's coffee. And join me now in a wonderful uh celebration of fellowship as we uh, have a sip of our favorite beverage together. So grab your favorite beverage and go. Isn't that awesome? What's even more awesome is going into God's word. We are in Job chapter 11. And Job chapter 11 is going to be Some exciting stuff today because Zophar is going to be on the scene. We haven't seen Zophar at all yet today in the book of Job. Now Zophar will speak. What do we know about Zophar? We know very little about where he comes from. In fact, we don't know anything about where he comes from. The name doesn't give us any clue. His name doesn't give us any clue. It's just revealed to us Zophar the Namathite. He's on the scene. Perhaps he is the youngest because he's the last To speak, and we kind of infer because he's a little bit of the less tack type, that his words are a little bit more biting than the other two, that he is a younger individual. So he's going to uh, talk to the Job, and as he's talking to Job, we gotta remind ourselves that when these friends are talking to Job, they will either say something that is blatantly not true, they will say something that is true, but not true for Job, and they will say something that is true and true for Job. Unfortunately, we're getting into the territory of the book of Job where the friends are saying things that are true but not true for Job and things that are blatantly not true. So let's look at uh, Job chapter 11, the first 11 verses. Then Zophar the Namathite spoke up and responded, doesn't this gush of words call for an answer? Can this man's bold talk be justified? Should your empty words reduce men to silence? Could you be allowed to scoff without anyone putting you in your place? You say what I teach is untainted, that I am pure in your eyes. Oh, how I wish that God would speak up, open his lips against you, and show you the secret of wisdom, because sound judgment must look at both sides then you would know that God has forgiven some of your guilt. Can you explore the essence of God? Can you find a limit to the perfections of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than hell. What can you know? His dimensions are greater than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes and arrests someone and puts him on trial, who can overrule him? Certainly, he recognizes deceitful men for what they are. He sees evil, and he recognizes it for what it is. Here, Job's friend uh, has some new information, something that none of the other friends have dared to say, and that he wished that God would come down and give Job a piece of his mind. Have you ever wished that God would do that? Maybe, Maybe it's your kid's. Uh, your kids are saying, "I wish God would t- come down here and tell you, kids, you know, give you a what for." But how dangerous uh, that is, and how unloving that is, really, right? We want God to speak in all of His justice and all of His law on our friends. Um, shouldn't we be aware of maybe He's going to have something to say to us too? And that's uh, Job's response. So I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's uh, the first. 10 verses of Job chapter 11. Verse 11 verses, I should say. Now we're looking at verses 12 to 20, and we'll see what Job gets wrong about what it means to live as a Christian life. Before an empty-handed man gets understanding, a wild donkey colt will be born as a man. There's some neat words, huh? But you, if you make your heart steadfast, if you spread out your hands to him, if you put away the sin you are holding in your hand and you do not allow just injustice to dwell in your tents, then you will lift up your face and be blameless. You will be solid and fearless. You will certainly forget your trouble. Your memory of it will be like water that has flowed away. The rest of your life will be brighter than noon. Darkness will become like morning and you will be confident that there is hope. I'm sorry. When you look down around, I was scrolling down and I uh, got off the page. So, back to verse 18. You will be confident that there is hope. When you will look around, you will go to bed confidently. You will lie down, and no one will make you tremble. Many will seek your favor. The eyes of the wicked will fail, and their place of refuge will disappear. Their hope will vanish with their dying breath. What does Job's friend get wrong in this section? What does Job's friend get wrong? He gets wrong the fact that um, if you... Obey. It's, it's basically the theology of glory. If you repent of your sin, and of course, Zophar does not know the sin that Job has committed. He is just insinuating that Job has some sort of sin, some sort of guilt that he's holding back. And um, the assumption of the friends is not unlike is not necessarily a bad assumption, right? We've all got some sort of sin that we've done that we're kind of hiding in the back. And we're not acknowledging it. Maybe we're not even dealing with it. Maybe we're in denial about it. Um, but in Job's case, he is a man who has consistently confessed his sin. He has guarded himself and his lips and his words and his actions very carefully. If he has sinned, he has confessed that sin to God, and uh, he has he's actually given thrown the gauntlet down to his friends and says, "Point out actually the sin that I've committed, and I will repent." and the friends never do that. The friends just say, Job, you know what your sin is. Just confess it, and God will do all these wonderful things. And the theology of glory that Zophar is saying here is, if you reach up to God, then God will reach down again on you. He will give you blessing, that the life of the Christian is one of uh, blessing after blessing, that things will get better and better. Uh, and you'll never tremble. You'll you'll People will be flocking to you to hear what you have to say and many Christians who have lived their lives and been faithful to him have found the exact opposite is true. Um, Just because you are a follower of Christ does not mean that your life is going to be a bed of roses. But we should still hold on to God because of what he has promised us in his word and the heaven that he has uh, given to us through Jesus Christ and what he has done. So that's the first round of Zophar. Now we're going to be looking at Job's response. And if you like snarkiness, here it comes. Chapter 12. Job responded, Yes, indeed, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I understand these things as well as you. I do not fall short of you. Who doesn't know all these things? But I am a laughing stock to my neighbor. I, who call on God, and he answers me, I, a righteous and complete man, am a laughing stock. Those who are carefree do not worry about disaster. They think it is reserved for those whose feet are slipping. The tents of raiders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure, those who carry their God in their hand please ask the animals and they will teach you ask the birds of the sky and they will inform you complain to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the sea will tell you about it. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord did this. The life of every living thing is in his hand as well as the breath of all human flesh. Uh, Did you like the snark wisdom will die with you? That was a good point, wasn't it? where he's talking about you guys are the the source and re- repository of all good uh, wisdom. Um, it's all going to die with you. You guys don't understand, Job says. The one who is faithful to God is being mocked. You don't understand that his faith is actually uh, something that others are pointing their finger at and just saying, why is God I'm um, doing this to Job, to one of his followers, uh, and people around Job who whose gods are in their hands, whose gods aren't real, who gods are of their own making. They seem to be doing great, and Job, who is worshiping the true God, um, has so many terrible things happen to him. He loses his children, he loses his property, loses his health. Uh, that's Job uh, beginning his conversation towards his friends in f- the first t- 10 verses. Let's look at verses 11 to 25. Isn't it true that the ear tests words and the palate tastes food? Isn't it true that wisdom is found among the aged and understanding among those who have had a long life? But wisdom and power are with God. He gives guidance and understanding. If he tears something down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he shuts a door on a man, it cannot be opened. Look, he holds back the waters and the land dries up. He turns them loose and the earth is overwhelmed. He has strength and sound judgment. The deceiver and the deceived both belong to him. He causes royal advisers to be led away naked. He makes fools of judges. He takes away the ruling power of kings and he wraps a loincloth around their waist He causes priests to be led away naked. He brings the pillars of society down to ruin. He closes the lips of trusted advisor and he takes away good judgment from elders and he pours contempt on nobles and he loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers deep mysteries that were hidden in darkness. He brings the shadow of death into the light. He raises nations to power and then he destroys them. He enlarges nations and then he leads them away captive. He deprives the heads of the peoples of the earth of their reason. He makes them wander in the wild land where there are no roads. They grope around in darkness where there is no light. He causes them to wander aimlessly like drunks. Here, Job, as he's talking to his friends, he is reminding his friends, especially Zophar, uh, of how sovereign God is. Usually Lutherans are, are cautious when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, God's all power, God's all power. Because we know of something called, you know, the will of man, that we can, we have this capacity, uh, this supreme power to, uh, say to God, God, I don't, don't want to have anything to do with you. And God will say, okay, I'll let you alone. I'm just going to pause here for a second. For another sip of that tasty beverage. And again, you can take a sip of that tasty beverage whenever you would like. You don't have to do it at the same time I do. The one at the beginning is a really good one just because we're setting ourselves off to for studying on uh, the wonderful a uh, word of God. So uh Job reminds his friends of the sovereignty of God, and uh he is going to continue on this it basically is telling his friends, you know, um you keep telling me that you seem to have this inside track as To the inner workings of God. And I'm going to remind you that God is sovereign, that He is powerful, that He is far above us, that He oftentimes does things that don't make any sense to us. And this is a reminder to me of last night I was in confirmation and I wasn't in confirmation. I was teaching confirmation class and we're going through the Lord's Prayer on deliver us from evil. And we were reminded of the four ways that God delivers us from evil. One way is that he keeps it from us. Uh, we think of no harm will befall you, no disaster will um, befall your tent. In the Psalms, we think of God, of um, we think of like a guardian angel preventing, say we're in the middle of winter, we're heading down um, the The ditch, and there's a guardian angel watching over us so that no harm befalls us. So, that is one way that God delivers us from evil. He also does something called uh, work it out for our good. Romans 8, verse 28 says, God works all things out for the good of those who love Him. And uh, that is definitely true. This is God's revealed word that sometimes He allows terrible things to happen to people. I know that in my own personal life with a personal tragedy. Uh, that God has worked out it out for my good. The third is that he uses it on evil in our lives to discipline us. Uh, Hebrews talks about that Hebrews 12 uh, verse 6 how the Lord disciplined those he loves and those he uh, he disciplines as as a father might discipline his son. He wants us to be better maybe he wants us to repent even where we are we're going down a path. That is not good and we need to turn back to God. And so God allows some terrible thing to happen to us, whether, whether it be a physical thing, whether it be a calamity of, of weather or whatnot, any kind of evil, sickness might be even one of them to get us to turn our, turn back to God. That's the third way. And the fourth thing that God, the fourth way that God delivers us from evil is that he makes us strong. He makes us strong so that we could overcome whatever that was. So we think of the apostle Paul praying to God that he would take away the thorn in his side. And God says, my power is made perfect in weakness, made complete in weakness. I will make you strong uh, throughout this weakness. And, and Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. So those are the four ways that God has revealed in his word that he's going to deliver us from evil. Now, the point of contention is how do you apply that when you are dealing with an individual who is suffering? God doesn't always reveal why this is happening. Which one, those four of those reasons, I, uh, I suppose the first one would probably be eliminated because that one's actually just keeping evil coming from us in the first place. Um, but Anyway, those bound reasons, I'm not bound reasons, those revealed reasons of God in his word tells us this is why God and this is how God delivers us from evil. Now, when an individual, when a Christian is suffering, we have to be very careful because we don't know why. The why of what, what suffering comes from is on the on the one hand, this deep well of the hidden God. Sometimes the reason might be obvious why something has happened, sometimes not. Sometimes the obvious reason isn't actually the reason that something happens. You might think, well, God's using this as discipline, and maybe it has nothing to do with it. Maybe God is just making you stronger through it so that you can undergo the next thing. There's all kinds of reasons why that aren't revealed to us, and if we would peer down the well of why— there's no bottom. And in fact, looking at the book of Job, you see, the the longer you peer down that well of why, like Job does, the more God comes across as evil, the more that God comes across and says, God, you're not being fair. You are not being loving, because I don't know why. So when When you have that urge to say, well, there's always a reason, you know, just, just wait. The reason will be revealed to you. Recognize that that doesn't, that doesn't help because God sometimes does not reveal why that's a well that has no bottom. What God has revealed in his word is that he loves you. And he loves you because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus lived a perfect life for you and died on the cross for you. God loves you, and he promises to take you to to be with him in heaven when you die. He promises that at the end of all things that he will give you a resurrected body because Jesus lived and died for you. That's what God reveals in his word. That is what you know. That is where you find your comfort, not in the reason why. The book of Job is an entire book telling us that the reason why doesn't get us the comfort that we're looking for. Instead, it leads us to reflect on what God has revealed in his word, and that's where we find comfort. Anyway, I wasn't sure where I was going to talk about that in our studies for today, but now that I've said it, it's going to come up again and again as we look at the book of Job. So we're looking at Job chapter 13, uh, 1 to 12. He's going to finish up his conversation with his friend, and then he's going to move on with his conversation to God. So let's read from Job chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. My eyes have certainly seen all this. My ears have heard it and understood it. Whatever you know, I know every bit as well. I do not fall short of you in any way, but I want to speak to the Almighty. I am eager to argue my case with God. All you do, you friends, that is, is plaster over problems with lies. Such useless healers, all of you. I wish you would shut up completely for you. That would be wisdom. (laughs) I know in Bible class, we laughed at that phrase uh, for quite a long time. Verse 6. But now listen to my rebuttal. Pay attention to the arguments from my lips. Will you misrepresent God? Will you speak deceitfully about him? Will you show favoritism on behalf of God and argue his case for him? Will it turn out well when he cross-examines you? Can you fool God as you fool a man? He will certainly rule against you if you hide your favoritism. Won't God's majesty frighten you? Won't the dread he inspires overwhelm you? Your axioms are proverbs made of ashes. Your strong points are made of clay. Silence let me speak. I intend to speak up no matter what happens. Why do I bite my flesh with my teeth? Why do I take my life in my hands? Even if he slays me, I will wait for for him with hope. No matter what, I will defend my ways to his face, even this may turn out for my salvation. For godless person would for no godless person would dare to face him. Listen carefully to my words. Give a testimony, my testimony a hearing. Please, listen, I have laid out my case. I know that I am innocent. Who can make a case against me? If anyone can, I will be quiet and die. Just two things for me, God. If you do, I will not hide from your face. Take your hands off me, and do not terrify me with your grandeur. Summon me, and I will answer, or I will speak, and you will respond to me. How much guilt and how many sins do I have? Reveal my rebellion and my sin to me. Why do you hide your face? Why do you treat me like your enemy? Will you toss me around like a windblown leaf? Will you chase me away like dry chaff? You write bitter accusations against me, and you hold me accountable for the guilt of my youth. You lock my feet in stocks and station guards along all my paths. You put your hand on the soles of my feet, so a man rots away like a garment eaten by moths. Oh, I guess I read all of that without uh, looking at the text. If you're watching this on YouTube, got carried away. So uh, Job reminds his friends that um, if you're going to talk about in on God's behalf, make sure you know that uh, he's on your side. <laughs> uh, isn't it so easy for us? to think that we know the mind of God. We know why God is doing certain things. We look at situations in Ukraine, or we see uh, situations over in China uh, with uh, the COVID cases ramping up in Shanghai and so on. Oh, we think we know why this is happening. We don't. We know where God has revealed himself and his word. We know what God has revealed about what sin is and what sin is not but God's inner workings in this world is a, is his hidden self why he does certain things why he doesn't do other things that should be left into God's purview and not ours because if we peer into that well of why we are not going to get the answers that we're seeking we're going to God's going to sound uh, kind of like uh, Job at the end here God um why are you doing why are you treating me like this why are you acting as if the sins of my youth, which I have repented of, why are you acting as if uh, those sins um, are, um, you're punishing me for them? He still wants God to take the stand. He still wants God to answer to him for why things are happening. And it's not, he's not getting the answer that he's looking for. He's not getting the comfort that he is looking for. And so as we uh, close off chapter 13, and go into chapter 14, we have Job uh, ending his conversation with his friends, now talking with God. So now we are here in chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Uh Chapter 14, beginning at verse 1 to 6, is actually a, a parallelism, where the Hebrew parallelism is the central thought is actually verse 4. But then there are thoughts on either side of it, and verse 3 matches with verse 5, and verse 2 matches with verse 6, and and so on. Uh, So if you're reading this, you can kind of see the parallelisms that happen. So verses, verse 4 is the central thought, and then work your way out, and you can see that the the thoughts are the same. And verse 4, let's get to verse 4. Man born of a woman has a few short days, and they are full of anxiety. He blossoms like a flower, but soon withers. He recedes like a shadow and does not remain. You keep your eye on such a man. You bring me into judgment in your presence. Who can produce something pure from something that is impure? No one. There, That's the thing. Um, That's the main point of this verse. Certainly his days are determined. The number of his months are set by you. A limit is set which he cannot exceed. Turn your gaze away from him and let him be until he finishes his day's work as a hired man. There is still hope for a tree if it is cut down. It may grow up again and produce new shoots, though its roots lie dormant in the earth and its stump is dying in the dust. And with just a whiff of water, it shoots up again. As a growing plant, it again sends out branches. But if a man dies, he shrivels away. If a person breathes his last, where is he? Waters evaporate from the sea. A river dries up and becomes dust. In the same way a man lies down and does not rise again. Until the heavens pass away, he does not awaken, and he is not aroused from his sleep. Oh, how I wish you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath has passed by, that you would set an appointed time for me, and that you would remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? Though all the days of my warfare, I will wait until change comes about for me. You will call and I myself will answer. Then you will long for the work of your hands. Now you count my steps, but then you will no longer keep track of my sin. My rebellious deeds are sealed up in a bag and you will plaster over my guilt. But as a mountain crumbles and falls, but as a rock is moved from its place, as water tears away stones and floodwaters wash away soil with the land, so you destroy a man's hope. You overpower him once and for all and he passes away. You change his appearance and send him away. His sons are honored, but he is not aware of it. They are brought low, but he does not realize it. He feels the pain only of his flesh, and in his soul grieves only for himself. If you like Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. You see what's happening here. He's building up to Job chapter 19. The wonderful thought of what's going to happen at the resurrection when he is going to have a body that will no longer have the effects of sin. Um, he is not really talking about the time of in between death and the resurrection where the soul is in heaven or the soul is in hell. That's not really on his mind. I, you can imagine why because he's in so much torment of his body and his, he is reminded of how frail his body is every day that he was longing for the time when his body will. Excuse me. Be resurrected and not have the the effect of sin. You can, you can see that that certainly is plausible. Or you can think of Job thinking of the final victory. Um, it isn't a, a final victory until the resurrection from the dead. That is often a point that is overlooked in today's society where we're always thinking of, well, when you die, well, your soul is in heaven and that's really the end of the story. That isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is the resurrection. Uh, when we're giving this new heaven and a new earth, maybe the maybe the fact that this new heaven and a new earth is too hard for us to comprehend, but or maybe for us, uh we just don't aren't suffering enough in this life that we don't uh we don't have this mentality of Job where Job is saying to himself, "This life here it doesn't seem like I've gotten a fair shake. I can't wait for the next life because I know then." I'll be given a fair shake. I know then that I'll be able to enjoy this life that I have around me. I just just imagine if you're an individual who um is denied the simple pleasures in life of food or of drink or something like that and you just can't wait for the time when you will have a, a resurrected body that won't reject food that you can enjoy all of the foods that God has given us without it having any repercussions. Maybe you've got a food allergy, maybe you've got diabetes and you can't have um uh the sugar substances because that'll send your blood sugar through the roof you're just looking forward to the day when you will be given a body that will never decay or perish or, or fade job has all of that but you also see evidence don't you of what happens when you peer down the well of why is um is he's starting to shake that finger at God again God um I'm in a a position where I'm giving up hope because of what you've done. It's all your fault. And I wish I could talk to you. I wish you could talk to me. I wish I could put you on the stand. So we're giving a real life example. The heroes of faith are given uh, for us so that we would learn from them. We see that they are not infallible, that they are not perfect. Certainly Job, uh, if you would look at an individual Job, if he were living today in 2022 would be a, a, a person who would be in church every Sunday, repenting of his sins and recognizing his need for a savior. He would be someone, um, that would be holding on to Jesus no matter what. And then he would be the person, uh, when all of these things happen and he loses all of his children and he loses his health and he loses all of his livelihood. And he asks the question of why, and he stares down the well of Why? And he does not give the answer. He should have friends. Like you or I. Like you and I that would come to him. And talk to him about the revealed. What God has said in his word. That he loves us. That he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That he will rescue us from this veil of tears. That he will give us a resurrected body. That we would focus on those things. The revealed. Knowledge of God. And not the hidden God. The hidden God doesn't give us the answers nor the comfort that we're looking for. Only the revealed God revealed to us in the word, the God who also reveals himself, not to mention, <clears throat> excuse me, in the sacraments, the Lord's supper. Here he is when it seems like we're God, where are you? Uh, Jesus is like, here I am in the Lord's supper. Here I am in the word. That's where you'll find me. So uh, let's cl- close with prayer. And thanks for sticking around for Job chapters 11 to 14. We're going to be taking three or four chapters at a time. Uh, it's a good book. Lots of application for today. Uh, lots of insight on the human mind and soul and the things that we um, gravitate towards and the things that we should be gravitating toward, which would be God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we don't understand why whether it's why for our own life or the life of somebody around us. And we ponder down that well of why and we don't get the answers that we're seeking. Sometimes uh, we think that that would be comforting to somebody else if we would say, well, there's a reason why this is happening or God will bring you through it. He will make you stronger. And we recognize in today that sometimes those kinds of words, though true, may not bring the comfort that our friends are needing. Help us, give us the real comfort which is found in you, in your revealed word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you till we see you next time.